0: Good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Uh, excited to be here, happy Thanksgiving. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. We're gonna be in Hebrews chapter four this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you didn't bring your Bible or forgot your Bible, if you raise your hand, we have ushers who'd love to get a Bible into your hand so you can follow along as we unpack God's word this morning. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up and grab one of these as our gift to you and go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter four is where we're gonna be this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. We are uh, just coming into our second sermon in the series on burnout, and and we're just talking about what does it look like as a a culture, as a people to to be burned out, to have so much going on in our lives, And, and I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb to say that we're a very busy people. Now, why is that? What is it that drives our busyness? Why would so many people find themselves in a place where they would be burned out or burning out or feeling the weight of burnout coming? And sociologists and psychologists and counselors would tell us a couple reasons. One is this technology plays its part. We're more connected, we're more accessible than any other time in world history. But secondly, I think it's this, I think there's something cultural going on in our business, where, where we as a culture, we value being busy. We, we put a value on, on being busy at work, or, or busy in our church, or busy in our families, or parenting, and, and if you were to ask people this morning, before after churches, grab somebody, and ask like 10 people, hey, how's your week? My guess is eight out of 10 of those people would respond with, yeah, I'm just busy. Just been really busy. No, I would be the same. How are you? I'm busy. And here's the weird thing. I'll say I'm busy without any sense of being embarrassed by it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not coming and saying, hey, how are you doing? Well, you know what? My life is so out of order. My priorities are so messed up this week. No, we say I'm busy and we wear it like a badge of honor. And, and our identity and our value is so wrapped up in what we're accomplishing. If you ask somebody what their name is when you first meet them, the next question we ask, hey, what do you do? And we put our value and our, our identity and, and what we accomplish, what we can get done, and, and the result of that is we're a very tired people. More and more people finding themselves in a place of burnout, and, and maybe for you this morning, you're like, well, I, I'm not burned out. I'm not, I'm not like clinically burned out where I'm flat on my back, empty physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and yet... And if we're honest with ourselves, I think many of us would feel that low hum of just being tired. Maybe you find yourself just physically, you're exhausted a lot, and and you can't think clearly all the time, and, and, and work is getting harder and harder, and health issues are beginning to build up, and physically you feel the impact of being tired, or maybe mentally and emotionally you feel it. You have this deep lack of motivation, you, you, you find yourself more cynical, more frustrated, more pessimistic, more disillusioned, more dissatisfied, and, and those just aren't every once in a while those feelings come up, but it's, it's kind of the everyday heartbeat of how you feel day to day. And what's happening in these moments is, is that there's this, this unchecked exhaustion that's going on. It's, it's producing this outward brokenness, but it, it's coming from, from an untended, unbalanced, inward state of mind. It's our heart that is disordered. I was reading a Forbes magazine article Actually, I was thinking in this Burnout series, I keep quoting all these magazines, and does our pastor read, like, all these business magazines? I don't. I just Google it, all right? So I'm not reading a ton of stuff, but, but I Googled, and a Forbes article came out. I just like to say I was reading Forbes magazine because it makes me sound super smart, but anyway, I was Googling, and a uh, uh, burnout, and I found this article on burnout from Forbes magazine, and the, the author, Lisa Jerry, she gives this, this definition of burnout that really hit me. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right, and here's her definition. Burnout is this, when the demands placed on you exceed the resources available to you. Have you ever felt that? When the demands placed on you are greater than the resources you have available to you. And listen, I, I don't know what you would identify as your greatest resource in life, but, but God's word, the Bible says that the greatest resource we have is found in the presence of God, that, that all that we're really going after, all, all that's good and beautiful and right and, and great, and, and it's all found in the presence of God. That's our number one need. Our need is the power and the presence of God, but the drift of our heart is never towards the power and presence of God. It's always towards ourself, always. I mean, if you, if you just let your heart go where it naturally wants to go, if we just unanchor our heart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we just let ourselves go where we wanna go, we're not gonna drift towards the presence of God and the power of God, we're gonna drift towards our own self-reliance. We say, I got this, I can do this, I can handle this, I can make this happen, I can get this done. And we're, we're born with this bent towards that, towards self-reliance, towards self-achievement. We're not reaching out for God's power. We're not reaching out for God's presence. We're reaching out for whatever else we can grab a hold of. What you find is that burnout doesn't happen so much because of the amount of work. It's not the busyness of our lives that burn us out. For sure, the busyness contributes to it, but what brings us to this place of burnout is a, an unchecked heart, Remember last week we were talking about Mary and Martha and and, and what did we see that Martha's problem wasn't just in the busyness of having Jesus over and her hosting Jesus. Jesus isn't upset at people that are high achievers. Jesus isn't ticked off and and saying it's sinful to have this this Pinterest-like Thanksgiving dinner this weekend. That's not the deal here. What was going on wasn't what was happening on the outside of Martha. Jesus pressed in and said, why are you so anxious and troubled? Why is your heart so disordered? That disordered heart led her to to reach out, to strive, to be distracted, to put her hope in in herself and whatever else she had around her and what she could accomplish. I mean, even think about Christianity, how we kind of do it. I mean, doesn't it often feel like to, to be a good Christian, you need to do a whole lot more? Like the, the really good Christians are the ones who are doing more things. The, 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 the more that you're busy at church, the have you memorized 20 chapters of God's word this, this week? Or how many people have you prayed with? And we kind of have this idea that, that, that to be a good Christian, to be a mature Christian, you've got to do more and more and more. And then Jesus steps into that and he says, come to me and rest. According to Jesus, the, the core of the Christian experience is this idea of rest. Are you overburdened? Are you, are you heavy laden? Come to me and I'll give you rest. So, so those who are most mature in Christ are not just the ones who are working hardest for, for him, but it's, it's the ones who are resting best in him. In fact, the writer of Hebrews where we're at this morning He ties this idea of rest to the Old Testament idea of the the Sabbath, of this law from the Old Testament that says that one day a week you're to rest. Don't work this day. Just take rest. And you can see it in verse 9 of chapter 4 if you get your Bibles open to Hebrews. Verse 9 says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He's tying it, the writer of Hebrews tying it to the Old Testament commandment of, of take a Sabbath. And so, if you're taking notes, our first point this morning is this that God actually commands me to rest. He commands it. I mean, if, you, if you go back to the book of Exodus, Exodus 31. For like 10 chapters, God's been laying out, hey, here's the way of life. Here are the things I want you to do. You want to find life in me. This is what life and worship looks like. And he's laying it all out for chapter after chapter after chapter. I mean, it starts with the 10 commandments. And they just bust out all this detail of this is what it looks like. And then then Exodus 31, verse 12. I've got it up here on the screen, so you don't need to look it up. Here's what what God says at the end of all of this detail of all the stuff that we're to do. And the Lord said to Moses... You're to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, love that, above all. What's he saying? After all that I've just given you to do, all the things that are important for life and worship, above all, he goes, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. He lays out all these laws. He says, above all, most importantly. So is the side is with a bit of a big deal to God? I mean, if, if your boss were to say to you at the beginning of the day, here are all the things I want you to get done today, but above all, make sure you get this done. If you're a student here and your, your parents say, hey, before I get home, I want you to take care of all these things, but above all, What are they saying? They're saying, hey, if you forget everything I've just said, make sure this happens. It's a bit of a big deal to God. Take a Sabbath, take a day off, take some rest. I mean, keeping the Sabbath, it makes God's top 10 list in commandments, right? It's it's in the 10 commandments, Sabbath, rest, resting. Now, what's that mean that God would include in the 10 commandments? It means this, that a culture that encourages overwork is a broken, sinful culture, just as broken and sinful as a culture that would encourage stealing or killing or adultery. Sabbath is on the same list. There's obviously something very seriously important about taking a Sabbath rest, serious to God for sure. But think about how goofy this commandment from the Lord seems in our culture. God's saying, obey this commandment. Imagine your boss coming to you and saying, hey, if I catch you in here working on your day off, man, you're fired. No, what what typically happens, if your boss catches you working on a day off and you're putting in those extra hours, that's how you get a promotion, right? If you're the one working extra hours, you're the one who goes, man, man, he's killing it. Man, she's working so hard. We got to give her a raise. But God says this, because you have such a bent towards being self-reliant, because you're prone to forget my goodness and my grace and my power and my presence, he says you're gonna take a day off. You're gonna take a day a week and you're gonna stop everything. You're gonna remember that I'm the one who's delivered you. I'm the one who sanctified you, made you pure and whole. I'm the one who fights for you. I'm the one who provides for you. And so he lays out this command, keep the Sabbath. Now, now here's the thing about God's commands. Like all of his other commandments, they're not meant to be a burden on us. They're meant to be a way to freedom. Do you get that? Every time that God lays out one of his laws, here's a commandment for you. It's not supposed to be a burden to us. It's a way to freedom. Now, what do we do? We take God's words of freedom and we flip them upside down and make them into these burdens. And so, so what happened is God lays out, here, here are the ways that I want you to live and worship. And, and what do we do? We, we made it into this big religious burden that we put on to people. And so Jesus shows up in the New Testament and begins to just blow up all the religious rules, including this commandment to rest. What do we do? We take God's commandments and we say, hey, I know what I can do. I can make those into this ladder that I gotta climb up. And if I can do all these things well, then I can reach God by by doing the things he asked me to do. And we take these laws that were to set us free and we make them these legalistic burdens on our shoulders. I mean, Jesus steps in, I love the story in Luke 13. Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath teaching and a woman comes in to the worship service and she comes in bent over. And it says that for 18 years, she's been in this painful position, just just disabled by something going on in her body. And she walks in and Jesus stops what he's doing, says to her, hey, come here. He says, woman, you're freed from your disability. He heals her and she just starts praising God right away. I mean, how cool of a church service would that be? You're, You're doing church, I'm up here preaching and somebody says, I've just been healed. 18 years I've been suffering with this, like what would you do? You would say, Kai, get off the stage, get the worst team back up. You be quiet. Let's sing. Let's celebrate. Let's worship. Somebody's been healed. She's been set free. She glorifies God. But here's what happens. The ruler of the synagogue, he gets bent out of shape. Why? Because Jesus healed her on the Sabbath. Here's this lady all fired up. Here's the, the synagogue celebrating and worshiping God for what he did. And, the, and this Pharisee stands up and he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, listen, I know we've been praying for you for 18 years and I'm, I'm excited for you that you're healed. But listen, listen, listen. Maybe come back on Monday and we'll talk about it. Maybe then we'll celebrate. But for now, this healing thing can't happen on the Sabbath. I mean, let's remember the purpose of the Sabbath before we make it into just another thing that we have to do, some law that we need to follow to to make sure we're doing good and then we're accepted by God. Because, listen, what we're doing is we're taking the law of God and we're turning it upside down to make it into something He never created it to be. The high priest in this moment completely missed the point of the Sabbath, I, mean, I don't know about you, I grew up in little country churches where Sabbath was not an exciting day for me as a kid. Sabbath was be sad about your salvation. I don't quite understanding what it was, but I mean, I remember nice winter days and like, this is the day to sled, this is the day to rejoice in the creation God has made for us. But no, you have to sit in the living room with doilies and teacups and stuff. Like, how was that? Like, where did we get this from? We, we take the Sabbath law that God gave us for freedom and we turn it upside down. And God's saying, no, 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 I gave it to you to reorient your heart around my presence and my power. We make them into laws completely empty of God's power, but God commands us to rest. Why is that? Because he wants us to get to that place where we begin to rest and trust that our freedom is found in his presence. So our second point this morning is just that. We've been saying all morning, why Sabbath? Because I need God's power and God's presence. I need his power and presence. You look at Hebrews chapter four again. Look at verses one to three. It says this, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it for good news came to us just as to them, but the messenger they heard did not benefit, the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What's the author of Hebrews doing here? The author's quoting from Psalm 95. That quote there, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Psalm 95 is a psalm that talks about the time where the Israelites were set free from captivity, set free from Egypt, crossed on the Red Sea on dry land as God's part of the Red Sea. They're into the wilderness on the way to their promised rest, to the promised land. But the, their hearts were far from God. They didn't trust God's plan. They didn't want to follow after his power and in his presence, and so they lost their rest, this, this rest pictured in the promised land that they were slaves being worked to death. God sets them free, and then God says, listen, it was my power that set you free. It was my outstretched arm that did this. And so remember the Sabbath. And what are we doing when we rest? We're declaring that our freedom comes from his presence and his power. And, and so we take a Sabbath rest to remind ourselves that's where our freedom is. And, and the Israelites here weren't doing that. God said, well, you're not gonna enter into the, the promised land then because what he was doing is saying, hey, you guys need to live in a different way so that even the watching nations around would look in on the Israelites and go, these guys take a whole day off no matter what. I mean, think about how scary that would be when, when you're living in an agrarian society where you're growing your crops and then you'd say, I'm just not gonna work today. No matter what. And in that act, as they rested on that one day, they're declaring, God, I don't have the resources to accomplish all of this, but you do. I'm going to work hard for six days, but by resting one day, I want to declare you're the provider. And there's this act of trust. I mean, that's what resting is. That's what Sabbath is. It's, it's a trust. It's, it's the difference between this, difference between being a kid on a road trip when your parents are driving you somewhere and you can fall asleep in the backseat. Why can you sleep? Because you trust. My parents know where they're going. They're going to drive us there. When I wake up, I'll be there. That's trusting in the one who's in control. Different than if you're on a road trip and your 16-year-old kid is driving you're not sleeping in the back seat, then, right? No, no, you're riding shotgun and you're making sure they know where they're going. They're driving, right? They're obeying the rules, they're, they're be, right? Rest comes when we trust in God. The author of Hebrews begins to drill even deeper, saying they missed God's promised rest in the promised land because they didn't trust the Lord. But then, then it goes even further than that. Look at verse 6. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day. Today, says, sorry, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's saying, saying they missed the promised land, but, but in Psalm 95, David's calling out for another place of rest. And this is, this is generations after the Exodus. So there's, a, there's this rest, the author says, that even Joshua couldn't lead them into. The promised land couldn't give them this. There's something deeper than just this day off. There's something deeper than just a vacation. It's all pointing to this. It's pointing to the freedom that we have in Christ. It's pointing to a, a freedom we can have in the midst of the chaos, a freedom that happens at a deep soul level. The Sabbath that Moses instituted, that, that Joshua talked about, it didn't provide ultimate rest, but it pointed to something greater. It pointed to the rest that we would have in Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus would ultimately become our rest. So this morning, our third point is this, that trusting in Christ is my ultimate Sabbath rest. That by trusting in Christ, that's where I find my true rest. The, the freedom and power that we have as we are in God's presence, it's found through Christ alone. Here's the great thing about that, we don't need to wait for one day to experience that rest one day a week. We can experience that every day in Christ and it's so important. So important to remember that it's through Christ because here's the reality. Life is not gonna get less busy. I and mean, I remember when I was single and I thought, man, I thought my life was so busy, right? I got friends, I got a job, I'm trying to find a wife. That took a long time, right? It was busy, and, th- and then what happens? Then I got married and now all of a sudden I'm trying to cram two calendars together and life is more busy. And then we start having kids and then babies come in. And I'm like, oh, this is so busy. And I, I remember even thinking, I can't wait to get past this diaper stage and things will get less busy. And then you hit like toddler stage. Like this, I, it couldn't get any busier. And now I'm in the drive your kids wherever they need to go stage of life. Yes, anybody else there, right? Listen, I know people who are empty nesters and their life isn't slowing down. Why? Because they still love and care for their kids they're, they're working hard to pay debts off for university and college. The, the, some empty nesters who are caring for aging parents. And life isn't gonna slow down. It's gonna be wave after wave. And sometimes it feels like these waves are gonna overtake me, which is why it's such good news to hear that Jesus is our Sabbath rest that in the midst of the chaos, there is a rest for us. That we have an opportunity to walk in the presence and power of God anytime we choose to enter into the privilege we have through Christ. Again, let's, let's look at Jesus' words in the book of Matthew. I'm gonna put them up on the screen here so you don't need to turn to them, but Jesus says this. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he goes on, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, As I read that and Jesus says, hey, are you burned and heavy laden, come to me. But then he says something that kind of shocks me. He says, if, you've, if you're busy and burdened and heavy laden, come to me and take my yoke on you. Like, you know what a yoke is, right? It's that thing that would be put over an ox, right? It's, it's kind of got this place where the ox's head to go into, and then it would be used to pull a plow or pull a cart. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you're too busy, if you're wore out, come, let me put a yoke on you. Like, what? I would expect Jesus to say, hey, for all you who are busy and heavy laden, come and take my beanbag chair of rest. Like, that's what I want to hear, right? I don't want to hear a yoke, What Jesus is offering us is not just a vacation. It's not just a a day off. He's offering us a whole new way of doing life in the midst of the chaos. Because the yoke that Jesus is talking about, it's, it's a yoke that would have two places, a place for two ox to go into. One place would be for the larger, older, stronger ox, and the other part of the yoke is for the younger, weaker ox to go in. And what would happen is the stronger ox would take most of the weight of the plow or the cart and it would would be the one giving direction and the, the younger, weaker ox would take just a little bit of the weight and would be led by the older ox. So what's Jesus saying then? He's not saying take a vacation in me. He's saying here's my power and my presence as you live your life, tie yourself to me. Learn from me. Let me bear the weight. Let me carry the load. Come alongside with me. So then if Jesus says that his yoke is light and not heavy, what happens when we do feel the burden of it? What's going on when the weight doesn't feel light? I think the key is this. When we begin to act out of our pride, our self-reliance, I can take care of this, we take the yoke on ourselves. Or when or we act out of fear and we don't trust Christ bearing the, the yoke for us. We take the yoke to ourselves. Or, or what do we do? We, we attach the yoke to other saviors and say, well, this one isn't working, so I'm going to put it over here. And listen, the burden in those times, in our fear or our pride, the burden becomes heavy. In fact, look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. What's he saying? Don't hook yourself up to other yokes. Don't carry the weight on your own. Don't don't try to make this a religious checklist. Jesus says, take my yoke. Now why is that a light load? Why is that not heavy? Where, Where do we find our rest in Christ? We find it here, first of all, that Jesus is our righteousness. I mean, in Jesus, we we can stop striving for our identity, our value, our righteousness, our purpose. Here's the thing, that in Christ, when we give our lives to Christ, we don't have to bring anything to the table for that to happen. We bring our sin and our brokenness and we're declared righteous. I love the old hymn that says this, he took my sin and my sorrow and he made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary, and he suffered and died alone. We don't cooperate on our righteousness. We were dead in our sin when Jesus did the work of of making us pure. My part in in salvation, my part was sinning. I took care of all the sinning, and, and God, through Christ, took care of all the saving. It was was his goodness, it was his kindness, it was his righteousness, it was his mercy, it was his renewing and transforming where where God did all the work. And so what do we do? Why Sabbath? Why rest? Because we remember that it was God who delivered us from death and destruction and sin. I mean, God says, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. You didn't put together some great army that fight your way out of Egypt. I did it. You didn't swim across the Red Sea. I parted it for you. You just had to be silent and watch me work. That's our salvation. So where do we find rest? We find rest by not taking on the yoke of self-righteousness because that yoke will crush you. But if you're here this morning and, and you've never given your heart to Christ, you've never trusted in Him for salvation, but instead you're working hard trying to do the work you need to do to become a righteous person, listen, listen. It's an unbearable yoke you cannot carry. God says, you come to me. You come with all your sin and all your brokenness. You say, here's what I have to offer. I need you, Jesus. And in that moment, you receive His righteousness. So, what do we do if we feel the weight of, of self-righteousness? We, we, we need to start to rest under his care, rest under what he says about us, rest in the gospel in that. Jesus is my righteousness. Here's another thing. We can rest because Jesus is my identity. He's my identity. We grab a hold of all these things, of, of work, of, of religion, of family, of protection, of wealth. And we grab hold of all these other yokes, and, and, and we're not actually saying this outwardly, but clearly our actions are saying, I need these other things in order to be valued. But in Christ, we have a way better identity where He says, You're an accepted child of God, an identity you don't need to labor to get, but it's given through His work. But instead, what do we do? We look for so many ways to to show that we have value. I mean, you, you trace it all the way back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, it says they were naked and unashamed. They were naked and it wasn't a problem. They were like, this is who I am. This is everything, you can see everything about me. Why? Because they're totally at rest with who they are. They saw who they were and it was good. And so so they were able to rest in that. But the minute they turn from God, the minute we do the same, the minute we decide to be our own saviors, our own lords, listen, at the at the deepest level, we may not admit it, we may not say it this way, but at the deepest level, we know that we're horrible lords and saviors. That we can't do it. We're so unfit for it. that, That yoke is too heavy for us to carry. And so what do we do? Like Adam and Eve, we run and hide. We experience the nakedness of it, that deep spiritual exposure, and we're like, I gotta take care of this. I gotta take care of not feeling acceptable. And what did they do? They ran and hid from God, and they took leaves to hide themselves from each other. But listen to where our hope is actually found in Hebrews. Look at verse 12. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What's he saying? The author's saying that we come before God naked, but where we allow God's word to cut deep, To come deep to the heart of what's really going on in us, to to cut through those fig leaves of identity that we put up trying to cover our shame. And, And listen, we find rest when we bring ourselves under the authority of God's word, naked before God, and we say, I'm not okay. I I keep trying to prove I'm okay. I I use my busyness. I use my, my identity. I use my stuff. I use my family. I use my status, my reputation, my control, and I try to cover my shame with all of these things to try to reassure myself and try to reassure other people that I'm okay. But listen, when we come under the word and we realize the truth, I'm naked before God that yoke isn't ours to bear. If we feel the weight of of identity, it's it's because we've grabbed a hold of it, either in fear or in pride, because we want to take care of our own identity, but God says you don't need to do that. We strive for all these things. And if only I get to this level, then I'll be okay. Then I'll be alright. And yet we never are alright. We're grabbing yokes that we're never meant to carry. And in, in this effort of trying to cover ourselves with these, these lame fig leaves. Instead, Christ says, just rest in me. Rest in, in the identity you have in my death and resurrection. That makes you whole. He's our righteousness. He's our identity. Here's another way we can rest in Christ. He's our security. He's our security. I mean, we, we strive to grab a hold of things. We strive to continue to be busy. Why? Because we want to provide a security because we're, we're afraid. If I don't do this, then I don't have a security. And, and Christ is saying, you have that in me. Rest in me. Trust in me. And so what do we do? We give up a Sunday to come here to worship together, to get our hearts in order, aligned to the truth of the gospel so that we can cry out like Romans 8.32 says. We can say, if God did not spare his own son, now that I'm his beloved child, will he not freely give me all things? We get our hearts ordered as we rest under Christ's yoke and we begin to see Matthew 6, 26, and we can say, man, if if my heavenly Father knows the needs of birds and takes care of them, how much more valuable am I to him than just a bird? God said to Israel as he rescued them from Egypt, he said, listen, I rescued you when you were helpless slaves. I'm gonna take care of you now that you're my beloved children. So what do we do? How how can you let go of the fear or let go of the responsibilities that you've taken on, the things that you've bore as a yoke? How can you let go of the people that you've hooked yourself to, saying, you're gonna be my hope? How how do you trust in God's care and control? You do it by remembering I'm connected to, I'm yoked to Christ. So this morning, let, let me ask you this. Who might you be attaching yourself to and hoping they'll be your savior? Listen, we're we're a church that loves to walk with people. Galatians 6 says that we're to bear each other's burdens, but we're not a perfect church. If if you put all your hope in people here, you're going to be hurt. You'll be let down by your small group leader. I'll let you down. I won't come through perfectly every time. And, And if that's your only hope, it's a weight you can't bear. Who have you given the place of Christ? What responsibility are you carrying today? And you're carrying the full weight of that yoke today. Maybe it's parenting and you're, you're carrying it all. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's finding a spouse. Maybe, maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your, your job. Maybe it's your marriage and you're carrying the full weight of it today. Listen, in all those areas of responsibility, there is work for us to do. We are attached to the yoke. We are supposed to pull some. But listen. If it's too heavy for you, where in fear or where in pride are you carrying Christ's yoke? Where are you resting today? Where are you learning to trust in His power and in His presence? How do we do it? How do we walk out the Sabbath? in our daily life? What's it actually look like, where it doesn't become this legalistic, ritualistic thing, but what's it look like to actually practice this, to get ourselves in that place where we trust in the presence and power of God? Let me give you some just practical suggestions. One is this, where you would take a day a week, like God calls us to. One day a week where you cease from all the stuff that you're striving for and you enjoy God on that day, all the gifts that he's given. And maybe it's Sunday for you and you, you come together and you worship with other believers and you, you reorient your heart, you reorder your heart in that, that day where you just say, I'm, I'm giving this to the Lord. I'm not striving today. I'm remembering that it's His power and His presence. A day a week. Or, or maybe for you, it, what's it look like Daily. Do you daily have a, a space in your, in your schedule where, where you just grab your Bible, you grab a journal, you just press into the Lord's hand, I'm just giving this time, I, I, I'm not gonna get up and just go, I'm gonna get up and wait, I'm gonna rest in his presence. I'm gonna give some time just to seek the Lord. And I've said this before, I mean, we can kind of romanticize that time with the Lord. And I man, if I just get my Bible and I wake up early and open it up, I mean, Jesus is going to meet me right there and an angel's probably going to show up and say, this is what Jesus wants you to do with your life. It isn't always like that. Sometimes it's a wrestle. Sometimes it's, it's this fight. Why? Why? Because it's hard in our hearts, especially, I'm a doer. I just want to get up and go. And so I, I, I kick against the idea of just a quiet, restful time before I go. And I tell you what I'm learning right now. I'm learning that God is saying, stop doing. You need me. You, you don't need to do anything. I'm doing it. I, I'll do it through you, but but what you need is me. You daily have that space. Where you see, I, I need his presence. Maybe to end your day in a place of Sabbath, where you can release the yoke that you've taken on, where you can you can lie down in your bed before you fall asleep, and, and and you can you can say, "Here are the burdens that I've been carrying. Here are the things that I've grabbed the hold of. Here are my my failures. Here are my fears." And you roll them on to the Lord in, into His forgiveness, and you can repent of here's where I've hooked my yoke to things I shouldn't have hooked myself to, and say, "Lord, thank you for Your grace." Here's why I've walked in fear and pride, but you are so gracious and you rest and you, you fall asleep remembering the goodness and the grace of God. You're able to rest in knowing that even in failure, God's love for you has not been diminished. That when we don't rest, our awareness of that love is diminished for sure. But that's what makes Sabbath not not a punitive law. That's what makes it this this way of grace for us. What's your daily life look like? Do do you have moments in your day? Just those those small moments where you just take that that five minutes, that that time, just go, man, I just need to reorient here. I I need to rest in God's grace. I mean, for me, I love the half hour drive to and from the office. It gives me that space, especially coming home, just that that 30 minutes of just getting my heart ready because I'm the most selfish at the end of the day. I'm the most self-reliant at the end of the day. I, I just, you know, it's been a long day. It's been walking through hard things all the time and I get home, right? I need those 30 minutes to get my heart in the right place, to rest. Why? Because when I get home, I don't know what's behind the front door, right? I I could open the door and it could be like the smell of a wonderful turkey dinner and my kids all doing devos in the living room together and praying and worshiping together, right? It could be that. I haven't seen that ever, but it could be that, right? (laughs) Or I could come home and open the door and something's on fire and a kid's lost in the woods. Like that that could be the other thing that can happen, right? And so what do I do? I need to get my heart in the right place so that I come home and I open the door, where my heart naturally is gonna go is I want this for me. It's my time now. But I need to get to a place where I'm like, Lord, you've given me a gift in my wife and my three daughters, and it's a gift for me. And I can celebrate as I come home. I can walk in knowing, God, I've got part of the yoke to disciple my kids as I get home tonight, that my job is not done, but Lord, you carry their hearts, that I can, I can with an open hand say, God, they're your kids. If I don't get my heart there, I come through that door and I find myself doing things that I need to repent of. What's your daily life look like? What about, what about sabbathing monthly? What would that look like? Pastor Matt's been pressing in on me saying, hey, Kai, I wanna get you set up where uh, one day a month you can disconnect. Your phone's off, your computer's off. And, and here's the thing, some of you are like, man, that would be so great. I'm like, I don't wanna do it, right? <laughs> it's hard. Would you, would you be able to have that time? You say, you know, I'm gonna disconnect because I wanna reorient my heart. Maybe it's, it's holidays. How do you sabbath for a holiday? I think that's what holidays are for where you can celebrate, where, where Thanksgiving can come together and you can celebrate the goodness of God. You say, you know what? I don't, I don't need to answer my phone right now. I'm going to get together with good friends and good family and good food and good drink, and we are going to celebrate the Lord. I mean, it doesn't have to be holidays. I mean, I love it. We do this every once in a while. We just have a bunch of friends over to our house. Just a, a while ago when Pastor Lee was back for a bit, we had just a ton of people over, and everybody brings really good food. Nobody brings crappy food. They all bring really good food, and we kind of share in the, the making and the getting it set up. There was like 195 kids were there, but it was awesome. What were we doing? Just, it's a Sabbath. It's a rest. It's a celebrating the Lord together. Just, just a word as we're hitting Thanksgiving. For those of you who haven't had your Thanksgiving yet, make sure that it's a rest for whoever it is that normally takes care of everything. If it's mom and y'all get to rest while well, she just makes everything and cleans up everything, that's not a Sabbath for her, all right? She's still killing it. She's still working. Here's a better way to Sabbath for holidays. Get everybody together. Let's cook together. Let's, let's clean up together. Let, let's, let's linger at the meal for a long time and just celebrate the goodness of the Lord. Let's do it as small groups. Let's let's do it as friends and family. Let's let's do it for for Christmas. Let's do it for Easter and get together and celebrate a Sabbath experience together. We can Sabbath in how we serve and give. When you give your time and your finances, where you say that that my calendar and my checkbook is not my resource for power and hope, but it's in Christ alone, and so I, I give and I serve and I Sabbath in that. You, you could fast as a Sabbath, where you give up a meal, or, or, or days of meals, or a day of meals, where you say, I'm, I'm resting in the Lord. That, that when that hunger comes, it reminds me that my greatest hunger is for Christ alone. That's my resource, that's my hope. And listen, I'm not saying that all these ways of, of, of having Sabbath in our lives, don't make them these legalistic religi- religious rules. They're to reorient our hearts. If it's a religious rule, if it's a burden to do Sabbath, you've grabbed a hold of the yoke in a way you're not supposed to. So again, I wanna ask you this, where are you carrying the yoke on your own this morning? Where in fear have you grabbed it away from Christ? Where in pride and self-reliance have you said, I can take this on my own? Sabbath rest is an invitation to rest in the presence and the power of God. I mean, think about, think about us as a, as a community together, a community of faith. What would it look like for us together to practice Sabbath, to really rest? I mean, listen, husbands, husbands, you're the best dads, you're the best husbands when you've been in the presence of God. Wives here this morning, you, you're at your best when you've been in the presence of God. You're the best parent when you've been in the presence of God. Single people, grandparents, students, listen, your, your life and energy, you're filled with more life when you've been in the presence of God. So, so where can you begin to rest today? Where have you grabbed the hold of a yoke you weren't supposed to grab a hold of? As you think of those areas where you've not rested, I I love verse 13 of Hebrews 4. It says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Here's what I love about that. In that moment of being exposed, that we can rest to knowing that Christ was exposed so we don't have to be. That Christ was stripped naked so we don't have to be. That Christ was cut off and cast out so that we don't have to be. That when he died, he said, hear this for a great phrase for rest, it is finished. All the the human effort we put into it, all the self-justifying work, he says, I've already done it. Come to me, I'll give you rest. That the Sabbath that happened in creation when God took a day and he took a Sabbath rest, and then he, he told all of us, hey, take this Sabbath rest, and that became this Old Testament law. And now we come to the New Testament, all pointing to this Sabbath rest on Good Friday where Jesus entrusted his heart, his soul, to the Father, and he rested. He said, it's finished. Everyone else on Good Friday, scurrying around, trying to make things happen. And at the end of that Sabbath rest on Easter Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead. He conquers sin and death and Satan and our own heart that has a bent towards doing it, ourselves, and he brings us rest. And so now he says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Everything we're striving for, everything we're looking for is found by abiding in, resting in Christ. And we can find those Sabbath moments daily, weekly, together, on our own. And we can be more vibrant and more alive in in this community of faith, in the midst of the chaos of life, with all the responsibilities of life. Why? Because we give ourselves over to Christ and say, I wanna learn from you. I wanna be connected to you. As the worship team comes up, we're, we're going to sing together. We're, we're going we're gonna to have a, a moment of worship as response. But here's what I want us to do. As you do that, as we worship together, allow this to be a time of prayer as well. If God's pressing in on your heart and, and you know, you, you've heard the spirit press in on those places in your life where you have grabbed a hold of it, where in fear you've grabbed the yoke for yourself and it's crushing you. You've put the yoke in wrong places and it's a burden for you or in self-reliance, you've done it. If, if you know that God's pressing in on those areas, then as you worship, make this more than just singing a song, but an act of prayer and worship to the Lord. When you say, God, these things I'm holding on to, these responsibilities I've taken on myself, I wanna give them to you. In fact, let me encourage you in this way. If while we're worshiping, if, if you need to do something, if you need to be on your knees as an act of surrender, then don't worry, get on your knees. People often ask, hey, why do people raise their hands in worship? What is that all about? Here's one reason. It's just this act of saying, Lord, I'm, I'm giving it to you. So maybe as you worship, maybe you need to, just as a, as a physical act of saying, God, I've been holding on to these things. I've been grabbing a hold of the yoke myself. I've been, I've been placing it on other things, and it's crushing me. And so as an act of worship, as an act of Sabbath rest this morning, as an act of repentance, I'm giving them to you. I want to find my hope and my life in the only place it can be found in your presence and in your power. Just you stand with me as we sing.